Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today, I'm really excited to talk with Lynn Hughes, founder and CEO of Comfort Zone Camps, the first nonprofit bereavement camp in the country, founded in 1998. Lynn is an entrepreneur who heads a large organization that serves thousands of kids through their in-person and online weekend-long camps, which are all free. She's also someone who lost both parents by age 12. So I'm excited to talk to someone with so much personal and professional experience around grief and kids. So hi, Lynn, and thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. As you know, this show is devoted to understanding adolescent grief, and I'm excited to talk to someone who has both lived through that experience and devoted herself to trying to help others through it. So growing and running this organization for over 20 years, what would you say that experience has taught you about grief, both your personal relationship to it and seeing others move through it? That's a great question. Um, Some of the things about my own personal experience and also what I've learned is that um, grief is a lifelong journey and that when I was growing up, it felt very lonely and very isolating and people didn't understand it and were awkward with it. And sadly, many years later, while we've we've improved a little bit as a society, that for the most part, we're still really awkward and death avoidant and that kids still largely grieve by themselves and need resources. That's partly why I'm so fascinated by grief is that that tendency that kids have to go through it alone. I mean, I guess we all have it, but I think for kids, it's especially bad. Adolescent grief is even a little different from childhood grief because it comes at a particularly vulnerable time in a child's development. Teens are beginning to find their independence from their parents, particularly emotionally, and also forming their own identities. They become really self-conscious. Um, So I was just wondering, what's your perspective on that distinction between adolescent and childhood grief, or would you even find that distinction useful? No, I think you're absolutely right that there definitely is a distinction and that it is such a tender and vulnerable time, as you alluded to. And what kid wants to be different? During teens, they want to look the same. They want to have the same outfits, the same clothes, the same, you know, just be like everybody else. So who wants to be different? And after a death, it separates them. And they're walking around with the scarlet letter D that's kind of blinking for death kid. And they're working just as hard to cover it up so that they look on the outside like everybody else. But they're they're grieving and they often feel, I know that I used to feel like even when I went to slumber parties and stuff as a teenager, that to, to try to put my serious self away and care about what other teenagers were giggling and laughing about, it was hard. Cause I felt like the worst thing they were dealing with was their pet goldfish dying. And I was kind of dealing with United Nations type issues and it, it separated me. Yeah. Well, I've talked to other grief support professionals and about the importance of peer support, especially for teens. But I know that during the pandemic, Comfort Zone started offering something that many grief camps don't, which is bereavement camp for the whole family. Can you share with us what that looks like and some of the advantages to working with caregivers along with kids? Sure. And we offer 
programs that are separate, but for the entire family. So we do something for parents and guardians, and then concurrently we do something for the kids that's broken down by age, so it's developmental. It, it, it always felt like something was miss, missing to just help the kids only, and then sometimes return them to the parents at the end of a camp weekend, and knowing that the kids may be in a better uh, emotional place than the parents were. So it feels really good for the parents to have the opportunity to talk about their own grief and also get some support on how do they parent a grieving child and what's typical kid behavior and what's behavior that's that's because of the grief. So it, we just found so much healing and what we did was found that the whole family unit healed. And especially when they're doing parallel programs and parallel activities uh, that it just was kind of a missing piece of our program. Yeah, I would also imagine then they come home and they have they can talk about it more because they have a common experience they can share and ask each other questions, which if the parents hadn't been there, I could see the parents asking those questions and the kids going, yeah, it was fine, mom, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> and we do things that they, at the in-person camps, the activities mirror each other. So if we're doing climbing wall and challenge course and team building and trust building, the parents are doing that too. So they've got that shared experience. We have small support groups called healing circles and they're telling their stories or talking about feelings and emotions or coping skills. And so are the kids. So you're exactly right that they leave camp and they're talking about, you know, oh, what did you talk about in your healing circle? Or what did you do out on the challenge course? Or what did you do during your free time? And we also give the kids pins throughout the weekend, as well as the parents at any time somebody takes a safe risk or there's a wow moment that it, we call it a pin worthy moment and somebody gives them a pin it has to tell them what they noticed that was that wow moment. Mm. So they both come home having earned all these pins and wearing them all over. So they get to ask each other, well, what did you do? What did you do? So it ends up being a really good way to start talking about the loss, which maybe they haven't done that before, or maybe not in such a uh, profound way. I imagine that's really helpful because it allows for the family to talk about the loss in a way that's not just about them, but it's about other people too. And it's about the whole camp. So it's as if you're not just talking about your own loss, you're talking about loss in general. So I would think that would be so helpful for families because I think so many families don't know how to talk about it with each other, especially parents and kids. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that there's an awkwardness that most of the conversation revolves, revolves around you know, parents asking questions like, are you crying or what are you doing with your grief? And the kid is shutting down or not knowing, not wanting to go to that place. So just kind of figuring out how to have a safe dialogue and even things like how to share favorite memories or how to reference a favorite song that's on the radio and just kind of that it doesn't have to be all about, am I crying or how am I dealing with it? But just kind of remembering how to talk about the loved one and um, just kind of gain some skills. Right. And it sounds like so many different kind of avenues to talk about it, different tools for talking about it, like the pins. I love that. And I'm sure games you play and all that kind of stuff can just really expand the family's sort of language around it. Yeah. And at the end of the weekend, we bring the everybody together for a closing ceremony. So the parents are there and they're invited to if they want to get up and do something in honor of the loved one and, and the kids do as well. And sometimes they'll do something together as a family. So it's really beautiful. That's lovely. Yeah. So I've listened to a few of your interviews and I know that resilience is a key word and concept um, that you've often used when talking about your the work that you do. So I just wanted to ask, because I think sometimes people use that kids that word with kids in a way that isn't always helpful. Um, and I'm talking about when parents sort of assume kids are being 
quote unquote resilient when they're really just suppressing their grief. Um, and then that allows parents to sort of, you know, um, avoid acknowledging or making space for the grief down the road when they when the child might have some behavioral issues or emotional struggles. So can you just talk about your concept of resilience when it comes to kids? Yeah, I think resilience is such an important piece of not only for grieving kids, but for all kids. And it's often being missed or not talked about. I think with our, our parent generation who wants to swoop in and like stop every pain and hurt, which of course is a natural instinct as a parent, but sometimes kids, um, they build their resiliency by going through tough times and coming out the other side and realize that they can endure a tough moment, a tough day, or a, a tough life experience like the death of a loved one. So I think talking to them about what's a forever moment and what's not a forever moment is really a key concept. Mm. Failing a test, breaking your arm, your girlfriend breaking up with you, what, you know, those are all short seasons of your life and, and bad moment. And you can get through those, you know, a death is a permanent, it is a forever moment, but it doesn't have to mean that you are forever unhappy and that you can't be okay again. So how do you get through the short moments and, and realize that you can get through some tough times, which then helps you build your resiliency muscles to get through the harder things like death, divorce, um, other life challenges. Well, I think what, what happens with parents is sometimes if they don't really know what grief is like for kids and someone says, oh, kids are resilient, don't worry. Um, people think of resilience as this, this ability to magically bounce back. And kids do look like they're bouncing back often when they're grieving because they're um, you know, they do have an amazing ability to kind of compartmentalize and suppress a lot of the emotional work that they'll be doing in the future. And so I like the way you're talking about resilience, which is much more about building back and understanding how to build back um, your emotional strengths. So, yeah, I just really like to make that distinction because I think resilience is a word that people sort of misunderstand when it comes to kids' grief. Well, and I agree. And I think where you're going is, I think it's really important for parents, educators, those in a child's life to understand what childhood grief looks like. Because childhood grief does not look like adult grief. They don't wear black, they don't mourn 24 seven, they're able to compartmentalize. <clears throat> and sometimes even after a funeral, they might be out playing ball with their cousins who they only see once a year and they're all really happy to see their cousins, but they're sad on the inside and it's confusing, but they look like on the outside, like they're having a good time. And then they fall and skin their knee and they're crying because their knee hurts, but they're also crying because they miss their mom who just died. And then you put a Band-Aid on it, and like five seconds later, they're off playing with their cousins again. And if you blink, you miss it, but they grieve in these short bursts. Mm. But you know, but because it doesn't mirror adult grief, that again, I think it gets dismissed um, by, by often parents, educators, and so forth, because they're not realizing that kids grieve differently, yeah. but they are grieving. Yeah. And compounded by the fact that parents and other adults around them are also grieving probably the same loss. And so it's easy to think, okay, I'm not going to worry about the kids because they look fine. <laughs> I'm right, going to worry right. about all these other issues like financial issues, or we have to move or, you know, so many things can change after a, um, a parental loss. So I feel um, that it's just very important to, yeah, point out what you just pointed out, which is that kids are grieving and they're going to show it in these sort of different ways than adults would. 
And then you build the resilience when they have the tough moments. And we know those waves of grief and tough moments happen. And again, going back to those coping skills and kind of getting through those bad moments and helping coach them through that, you know, that, that the frequency and intensity gets better, but that this is, you know, something that they're going to have to figure out how to get through those tough moments and get through them together or give them some uh, tools they can put in their toolkit to help them navigate it and recognizing when they come out of it, that the coping skills and resilience are, are helping them. Right. And they're always there. Yeah. Those don't go away. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, back to teens, you know, obviously teens put up a lot of defenses, especially when they're in pain. So is it harder to get teenagers to come to your camps? And, and if they do come, what are some of the strategies you use to help them feel welcome and supported when you invite them to do activities or try to get them out of their shells? Such a great question. Yes, it is. A, the, the bigger they are, the bigger they grumble. And <laughs> their biggest fear is going towards the pain. And so when they hear this is a bereavement camp, like what, you know, this is death camp. Who wants to go to death camp? That's got to be depressing. And, you know, the parent is often struggling with so many, juggling so many other issues that they're not always willing to do battle with them, even though they know it would be good for them. So we have um, our camp registrars, we call them youth and family coordinators who work with the families and they kind of validate like, hey, they might get, be getting cold feet, especially the day of, it, you know, even if they're grumbling loudly, don't, you know, don't have them back out. I promise if you, if you can put up with the grumbling to get them there, you will pick up a child that is transformed at the end of the camp mm -hmm. weekend. So we try to validate that. We also try to come up with, we encourage, you know, if, they, if bribery needs to get involved, bribery is okay. <laughs> We got nothing against bribery. We've heard it all from concert tickets to uh, extra ear piercing to new computers. Uh, I mean, right. all kinds of, but whatever it takes to get the kids there, you know, we just really want to encourage the parents to do so. And we will also, we offer to have um, veteran campers call them and talk to them about, you know, I didn't really want to go initially. And then I went and now I've been 10 times. It's like my second family, you know, all that could kind of give them a talk about the experience. So there's different ways that we try to encourage both the parent and the, the, the teen. And sometimes the parents will even do like, oh, this is, could be my birthday present. Or if you just do this one thing for me, I won't ever ask you to do another thing for me. So whatever it takes. I love that. I, I think it's also rare that people who are running, I mean, so many people who get into grief work are people who had a grief experience, but a lot of them didn't have, you know, an early loss. And so I think it's so unique that you have had that and you run this, this camp. So I'm just curious if, you know, you're ever in a position to talk to kids at the camp about your own personal path through your grief. I think it's really important for them, whether it's hearing my story or another adult who's walking, talking, leading a happy life, despite having an early loss and that they're okay, that they get that message. And so when I get the opportunity, I do tell my story. I sometimes lead the healing circles. And when I start off leading the healing circles, which are our small support groups, I always start off of like, this is why I'm sitting in this chair, you know, and I tell them a little bit about my loss history and let them know again about, you know, what my journey and then how for me, I wanted to find purpose and um, in my loss and that I love summer camp and kind of combined that and found my, my purpose in helping others and that I'm okay and that they can be okay too. So I just think that's a really important message to hear. And we also have some 
former campers on staff now because we've been doing this for a long time. And um, if, if sometimes they're the ones who tell their story at the, at the end of the closing uh, memorial service, that they'll, they'll tell their story. And they're the ones who've been leading the games and kind of the fun face all weekend. And the kids don't know that these you know, high energy people actually had a loss and were just like them sitting in, in the chairs at camp one time. So I think it's really important that they get that messaging and get some some role models that are okay despite their loss. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Another thing you've talked about, which I think is so interesting, is um, you talk about something called life change grief, which is when we grieve things like losing a job or moving or losing a friend or things that aren't about death, but are still a grief experience. And that makes me think about how many kids go through their parents' divorce and sometimes remarriage or blended family. And, you know, because it's such a common experience, I imagine it results in a lot of unacknowledged grief in kids. So have you ever considered camps for life changes like that? Uh, we have considered it. And actually during COVID, when we were doing some virtual uh, programming that we did stuff for life grief um, because of that, there was so much people grieving their everyday life and life the way they knew it. There was just such an obvious awareness that people were were grieving. And then if you piled on things like death, divorce, um, other major life events that they were missing out on. So we, we did some of that. Um, but what we do is so much it's different. While those kids are certainly grieving and certainly our model would work, um, we do so much work on commemorating the deceased loved one and how to stay connected to them that it, you know, it would kind of be a completely right. different program. But I, I agree that our, our program would work. And I think in general that we need to honor and realize that, that yes, kids grieve due to a death, but they grieve other kinds of losses as well. And, and to know what that looks like and how to yeah. support them. Yeah, and I love that you do different camps for different types of loss. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of of those distinctions? Like, I know you you've done specific camps around um, loss due to suicide or COVID, et cetera. Yeah, our, our camps for a long time were for all loss types, and then then September 11th happened. And there weren't anybody, there weren't any resources in the New York, New Jersey area. So we felt compelled to respond. And that was really kind of the first aha that sometimes kids' losses are so specific and the nuances that bringing them together um, to talk about their, those, those specific nuances were really important. So we did camps for all loss types uh, in Richmond, but then we were doing these camps in New York and New Jersey for September 11th. And then over a period of time, we were aware that there was a need um, that the suicide loss that those kids had a lot of shame and stigma attached to them. And when they, while they they still got a lot out of our camps with the, all the general loss types, that there was still kind of a need to really help with that population and break that stigma. And and then as that need has grown more and more over the years, um, about eight years ago, we did started doing a camp specifically for suicide for. Uh, we do one for the parents and guardians, one for young adults, and one for the kids. And, you know, we keep seeing that grow year over year, the, the number of attendees and, and the need for that. The intensity is greater in those ca camps, but I would say the transformation is equally great mm. as well. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we've seen, it just we've seen a 30% increase from this year to last year in overdose death. Mm. And we just, it just starts weighing on you that these kids also have a lot of that shame and stigma and that for them to come together and 
break that shame and stigma and that isolation that they're feeling and bringing them together that we we know it worked with the September 11th kids. It worked with suicide loss. We feel like that it's going to be really powerful. We're doing that in a few weeks, mm. our first camp overdose loss. And then as well during COVID, um, we, you know, that there was nobody had seen a pandemic before and nobody, the, some of the, the, the things that we heard that they were experiencing, um, you know, that the more we could bring the other COVID losses together to support each other, it was just really, really powerful and important. Yeah. And when you're dealing with something specific, like an overdose loss camp, like how would you make sure that you guys were prepared for all the questions or all the feelings that might come up that were specific to that kind of loss? Sure. Our, our clinicians, our therapists that we bring in to help lead our support groups, a lot of them have a background in overdose um, substance abuse um, work with adolescents and, and children. And so they're helping us provide like talking points for our volunteers and so that we can, um, you know, distill down, you know, what, how we can best support that community. Mm. So that's, that, that's what we're doing as well as some of the volunteers have an interest or um, in their, their jobs, or maybe they had a loss in their family. So they have a, a extra special heart for helping that population. Yeah. I love that. You've talked in interviews about your faith a little bit, and I was just curious if you talk to kids about God or spirituality as a way to support um, themselves through their grief, or if that's something you like to keep separate. So I think if I'm telling my own story, I will reference, you know, my own spirituality and that that worked for me. Hmm. Um, but we are really big on taking kids where they are and reinforcing whatever they believe. So, you know, if they might say, you know, what, why do you think God did this? Or, you know, do you believe in God? Then our, our answer is, what do you think? And what do you believe? And then trying to reinforce their own belief system. If they specifically say, do you think that there's a God or a heaven? Then you, it's okay to say, I feel this, or this is what works for me. So there's definitely an element of spirituality um, at camp. You can just feel it. Um, that there's just things bigger than all of us taking place, that there's some magic in, he, in the healing that happens. Um, so what, however you want to label that, but we, we try to not get too religion specific. That makes sense. And in some of the talks you've done, I'm sorry, all my research was like listening to you talk um, in other interviews. In one of them, I think I heard you talk about you know, people get stuck in their grief. And that's a word we hear a lot with grief is this word stuck. And, you know, personally, I think everyone obviously has to find their own way. And, and I know I've certainly felt stuck off and on in my own grief. And I really associate that with depression, which I think is uh, part of many people's grief journey. So do you think people who end up depressed as a result of um, an early loss, you know, should be able to get themselves out of it with some of the strategies that you teach in your camps? I, I do. I think that the strategies we teach in the camp are important, but I think there's a fundamental thing that I try to stress when I'm working in, in the support groups or talking with kids or even adults that surviving this is a choice and being okay or even happy is a choice that nobody's going to hand it to you. It's not like one day you turn 18 and all of a sudden you're magically over your loss. I mean, grief is a lifelong journey. It's an emotional handicap that you get up and deal with every single day. However, 
you can, that big hole that happens to you after the loved one dies, you can shrink it and make it more manageable and you can still lead a happy life, but you have to choose it. You have to speak it. You have to fight for it. And some of that, that choice is <clears throat> choosing to move forward. It's choosing to heal. It's how you speak. It's figuring out coping skills. It's figuring out that this is bigger than you. You can't go it alone. So who, who can you let on your grief journey with you? Is it a therapist? Is it a friend? Is it a clergy? Is it uh, a medical professional? But you need to let people in um, that you're not going to be able to, to get to where you want to go by yourself. So who do you let in and, and, and what resources can you get? And the older you are, obviously, you know, it's different, but, you know, even young kids that they need to know that this is bigger than them and that sometimes they're going to need somebody to talk to and who's somebody that they can talk to. And it may be their parent. It may not be their parent because they don't want to burden their parent because they're worried about them already caring too much. So helping them to identify their coping skills, one of them is who is somebody who gives good advice? Who is somebody when it gets just, just to be too big for them that they can go to? And, you know, and the grown-up adults who didn't get that, they still need to know that they're not alone and get that validation, but then they can make that choice that they can survive it and they can still be okay and they can shrink this and make it more manageable. But you got to go through it. Mourning is the intentional act of going towards that pain. And so part of it is making that choice to go go towards the pain and depower it and, and you know, have it become a, a part of you, but not um, overwhelm you. Mm, yeah. Well, and I think that all the work you're doing with bringing kids together who can, you know, see what other kids are doing and, and know that they're not alone, that just seems like a huge piece of finding that community. Even if it's just once a year, I would think you would carry that, you know, throughout your whole year. I, and you're exactly right. And the kids, to see them go from first timers to like the repeaters and even throughout the weekend to just see them. It's almost like the first timers, again, they're carrying like a bag or a backpack full of rocks and you can see how heavy they are and how just afraid that they are. If they talk about their loved one, that the world's going to end or people are going to look at them funny, or if they cry that something terrible is going to happen. But when they get asked to tell their story and another, and they're talking about their dad or their brother or sister or their mom and somebody else leans in and says, me too. It gets better. Mm -hmm. You know, that you just see that that the, the rocks get dumped out and they get visibly lighter and brighter. Uh, and then they come back year over year and they become like the leaders and welcoming the new kids. And and I we really want to stress kids don't have to be doing badly to come, that this is their community. This is maybe their once a year place where they can be around people who just totally lean in and get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was going to ask about like, do you talk about the long term kind of effects of all of this? And it sounds like just having people coming back as adults and having you as a role model, that sort of tells that story right there. Right. And right now, a third of our volunteer base are former volunteers who want to pay it forward what was given to them, which is just a ripple. I never dreamed when I started this, but it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, you talked about how you were just starting your camp when September 11th happened and, you know, you realized there was this huge need to fill. And then 20 years later, COVID happened and you expanded in new ways again. So between those two major events in our history, have you seen changes in attitudes about grief? Would you say things have shifted or 
or not so much? I think that there's more resources available. There are, you know, things like your podcast or my camp, um, things that didn't exist or there weren't, you know, very many of them. So I think that there's more resources if you choose to, to look for the resources. But I think that kids still experience over and over again, they're awkward and they, they don't want to talk about with their friends because they look so uncomfortable um, or, or their their loved one starts to cry every time they bring up their loved one's name. Or um, I, you know, I know that, again, if I brought up to to people that my own my parents both died when I was young, that their own mortality wheel would start spinning and they would visibly pull back and almost look around so uncomfortable. Like, can I catch this? Is this, you know, and you'd end up comforting them going, I'm OK with my loss. Are you okay with my loss? You clearly don't, but I'm okay. So, you know, and kids still pick up on that, that we have this death avoidance society. So I don't see much movement with society at large as, as I would like. Hmm. So is there anything else that you'd like to share about comfort zone camps that we haven't talked about? Um, I, well, one of the other things that has come out of these, these uh, children who've grown up and become volunteers, that a lot of them are going into healing professions, which I find really fascinating. And I think is really encouraging that there will be more understanding in the world um, on grief and loss that, so they're going into whether it's counseling or school counseling or teaching or healthcare professions, uh, but they're going into these just different healing type of roles. And so they're the, they are these bright lights of understanding of grief that I really look forward to, that eventually I think that we are going to see a positive change in the tide. Mm, yeah, I hope so. Me too. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Lynn, so much. This has been great. And um, I can't wait to um, learn more about your camps and spread the word. Well, thank you so much for all you do. And it's great to have another sister friend out there in uh, the grief space, uh, another grief warrior out there. So yeah, I will definitely put, um, you know, links to your website and the camp website um, in the show notes for anyone who is curious about it. But comfort zone camp, it's pretty easy to Google and, and you'll find so many resources and so many choices there. So I think it's wonderful what you're offering. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Thanks for listening and remember to share and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. And lastly, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall.